we are going to continue to worship our great God, to magnify Christ uh, through prayer. Oh, gracious, loving, high, exalted, all magnificent, completely beautiful, all good creator God. God, we, we praise your name because, uh, and mainly because of who you are. You are worthy of it. So God, we fix our eyes on you. And Lord, we exalt you. Lord, as we do that, we cannot help but but feel the reality of who we are in light of you. And it humbles us. It humbles us uh, and calls us to repentance, calls us to beg your forgiveness for the ways in which we have uh, lived contrary to our creation. So Lord, each and every one of us here has fallen short of your glory, and so we pray that you would forgive us for the ways in which we have thought and spoken of you wrongly, for the ways in which we have thought, spoken of, and to your image bearers wrongly. God, forgive us. Forgive us. Because we know the glorious reality that you do indeed forgive. We look to the cross and we see the sacrifice that your son made so that, your word says, so that we could be made as new creations washed clean by the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you. Christ be magnified. Lord, as we come before you, we we think of those in our midst who are, who are sick and suffering with health challenges. There are many. Lord, some we don't know, some we do. And that comes to mind is uh, John Creer, our Lord. We pray that you would uh, meet him in the midst of his health challenges, him and the family. We lift him and Pat up to you and, and the rest of the family as well. And we pray that you would comfort and uh, strengthen them. Lord, as we pray that you would give the doctors wisdom to uh, know how to best help and serve him. God, we thank you that he is uh, even still uh, praising your name. Lord, we think of those in our midst who are mourning the loss of loved ones this morning. Those who, uh, who are missing dear ones to them, we pray that you would be their comfort. And Lord, help us as your people to come alongside them to, uh, to weep with those who weep. And Lord, for those who are seeking Jesus this morning, would you meet them right now in a special way so that they would know that you indeed are the Lord creator of their lives, that you are the Savior who can uh, make the way between you and them possible? through Jesus Christ, and and so we pray for them. And Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. 
We thank you for the things that we can see. Uh, Lord, we praise you in the way that you're working in our midst. We also, we also pray for the things that we can't see. You're doing so many things. We, we can't even see them all. And so we, we look to you and we thank you for that. And now, as we open your word together this morning, we ask that you would move in power. God, we need you. I need you desperately this morning. God, open our eyes to see the words that you have for us. Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear what you have to say. And open our hearts to comprehend and receive what it is that you have for us this morning. Christ be magnified. We pray all of this in his precious, loving, holy name. Amen. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a page out of Pastor Jay's book from last week and, and get you to, to picture something with me, okay? I want you to picture a family. I want you to picture a family. It's your average family. Um, perhaps uh, it is a little larger than, uh, than the normal family that we have here in our culture today, but, but they're not hurting, okay? In fact, in the world in which they live no one's hurting. Everybody has exactly what they need when they need it. They have to labor uh, for, what the, for sustenance and for the things they need, but it is certainly not a burden to them. Okay, their children uh, lovingly obey their parents because they know that it is good and right, and they know that their parents have their good in mind. And the husband and wife The husband and wife know each other's strengths and weaknesses, and they work together in a unique and yet complementary way. The husband lovingly leads his family as they worship the one, uh, as they worship God as one, and, and look to make much of him in all that they do. And the wife willingly and gladly supports her husband in this as they bring their family up together in the ways of their God. This is a family who is thriving where God has placed them. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture. In fact, truth be told, it's the image that God had in mind when he, when he breathed life into Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the picture of what family is supposed to be. Only, it's not what we experience, is it? No. No matter how put together a family may look in an Instagram post or, or seem as they, you see them in the church foyer or, or par- parking lot, this is just not how families work on a day-to-day basis. And no matter how loving and perfect a, a couple, a, a Facebook post, post a couple might put out on their anniversary, our marriages just, they don't look like this all the time. Do they? So why? Because in the garden, before they even brought kids into the mix, Adam and Eve were were tempted to throw this God-given ideal away and in place put their own inferior structure, one where Adam just abdicates his responsibilities and Eve was grasping for things that were not hers. And in one foul swoop, the ideal was lost. It was lost. And as a result, 
like all structures and relationships and systems in our world, our marriages and our marriage structures became broken. And the reality is, is not a single one of us, married or not, lives to glorify Christ in all that we do. Each of us seeks our own gain rather than loving in light of how we were created to love. And it's into this broken world, this broken system that, that Peter continues his call for God's people. He continues to press into what it means to make much of Jesus in a world that wants to do anything but that. That's the world in which Peter is speaking. And so we're continuing our series in the study of the book of, of 1 Peter this morning. Specifically, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And so I'll encourage you to go there in your own copy of God's Word this morning. Open there so you can follow along with us as we're, we're tracking through. You can look at the text yourself. And as you're turning there in your copy of God's Word, we need to understand a little bit of the context um, of our particular passage, because as you all well know by now, this is one whole letter. The book of First Peter is like a whole letter that, that was written from the apostle Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to a group of Christians who are in, in five uh, uh, geographic locations through the Roman Empire, kind of all uh, gathered together. So it's, it's written from one specific person, uh, but it's a whole letter, and so if we tried to just like parachute into our passage today without trying to understand the surrounding context, we would have no way actually to understand what Peter is saying. And so to gain some context, we need to zoom out and remember where we've come from. And so just quickly, at the beginning of the letter, Peter begins by highlighting the newness of life that comes be because of being a, a follower of Jesus. And it's not just a new life, but it's a new life to a living hope a living hope because of the power that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a living hope that comes from the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and this reality is such a hopeful refrain. Because as, as Peter addresses in the letter, the people that he's writing to are facing trials because of their newfound faith. And, and, as, and Jay painted the picture for us last week as to why that might be, why they're facing trials because of their faith. Because remember, there was this, this well-ordered um, family structure, the social structure that their, their faith in Christ is starting to undermine. And the people around them, the empire in which they live, this doesn't work well. And so there's pushback against these followers of Jesus. They face, find themselves facing unjust suffering. And so God, through his servant Peter, is seeking to encourage them to continue in doing good, to continue in doing good for his sake. Regardless, regardless of what slander and mockery and reviling and ridicule or persecution might come. And friends, I want you to hear me on this. This is an encouragement for us as well, because whether you're starting to feel it yet or not, this same sort of reality is going to come true for us as well. Perhaps you're already getting a taste of it, and if not, then, then probably we will start to feel that uh, where the culture is pushing back against our faith in Jesus and the good that he calls us to, and it's going to start to come in, in snide comments and ridicule and mockery. 
And so this, this encouragement is for us as well. And in the midst of that, as it starts to come, we are following in the example of Jesus as we suffer unjustly. And it, it's into the midst of this call to suffer unjustly that our text in particular is found. In fact, it's the third of the examples that Peter gives as to how to follow Christ by suffering unjustly. The first example, if you've already had it open, uh, is found in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. You can look at that just to refresh your memory. It's where he calls all of us to willingly submit to the governmental authorities that are over us, whether or not they are acting for our good. And then the second example he gives comes from chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, uh, with slaves being called to willingly submit to their masters with all respect, whether or not they're just. But then it's in verses 21 through 25 that we get what is possibly the swing point of this entire letter. And in these verses, Peter lays out the why and the how of what God has called his followers to. The why and the how of, of this call to follow in Jesus's example to suffer for doing good. That's what we're called to. And so he gives us the how we're able to do this because we have been made new. We've been made new by his sacrifice. And in light of Jesus' sacrifice for us, we have been made into new creations. And in light of that, are called to, to bring that new creation into the world as his church, as his people. In light of Jesus' sacrifice for us, we fo follow him by suffering for doing what is good. And so it's in light of this that we come to our text this morning, the third example that Peter uses, a further example of that household structure, right? So remember, we have this, this kind of social structure of, of husbands, and then wives, children, slaves, and then everybody else. And so, uh, so we have this, this structure, and so uh, he's continuing on with that household structure, and it, an example of what it looks like to live as a new creation within a broken marriage structure. That's what he's calling them to. Because even if you, you have a solid marriage this morning, the reality is, is that it's still, because we live in a sinful world, our marriage structures are still broken in some way. And so with that, I'll invite you now, uh, to, if you're able, to stand with me and for the public reading of God's word. So follow along now as, as I read... Um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so, with your prayer, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may have a seat. So, in light, in light of the new birth into a, a living hope, in light of God's call to suffer for doing good, this third example that Peter uses uh, shows us that wives and husbands, like all people, are called to follow Jesus in their homes. Let me say that again. Wives and husbands, like all people, are called to follow Jesus in their homes. See, in continuing to make his point, Peter moves from his comments to slaves, and he, he, he right into speaking to wives. And just as an aside here, Peter's doing something really interesting, because if you want to, like, Pull yourself back, like kind of pull out from our, our 21st century culture and put yourself into Roman society. What Peter's doing here is, is unprecedented. See, slaves and, and, and wives did not get addressed to the, in, in public. Husbands did, and then they were expected to disseminate that through their households. And so, so Peter's actually trying to bring the new creation that comes through Christ to, and trying to subvert the culture by, as he's dressing all of these followers of Jesus, and he says, okay, by the way, slaves, you guys too, I want to talk to you too, and wives, I want to talk to you as well. So he's doing something very interesting here. But that's just an aside, it, which was a really incredible way in which he's trying to elevate these people and showcase that we are all created equal in the sight of God, in his culture. So one of the ways he's bringing the new creation to bear in the lives of, of Jesus' followers. And, and as we come into this text, we need to realize something. We need to realize that, that Peter is not, we need to see what this text is not. Peter is not trying to build a theology of marriage here. That's just not what he's trying to do. He's not trying to uh, showcase what an ideal Christian marriage looks like. If you want something like that, you're welcome to go read something like Ephesians chapter 5 or, or see what God says about husbands and wives in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But that's not what Peter is doing here in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. No, Peter's using a broken marriage structure of his day to continue to call his call for Christians to follow Jesus in suffering unjustly. It may actually be more apt to say that instead of uh, telling people what marriage ought to be, he's trying to show them how to be a Christian while you're married. Okay, do you see the difference there? He's not saying what marriage ought to look like. He's saying here's how you are a Christian when you're married. That's the, the base example he's giving. So because like I said before, even if you have a strong marriage... And a God-honoring marriage, the reality is, is every single marriage in this world is two sinful people who are living in close proximity to one another. And it's a, we have a broken marriage structure. It's just a reality of living in our sinful world. And so in doing this, in doing this, he begins with wives. He begins with wives. And he, he says, likewise, wives. He says, likewise, in his way of, of showing uh, that, that he's continuing his train of thought. That's how we can know that he's, what he's not done with this concept of suffering. He's saying, uh, just as I told the slaves to willingly submit with all respect, wives, I'm telling you the same thing. I'm telling you the same thing. We talked at the beginning of the original design for marriage, right? Well, well for wives in Roman times, this ideal was, couldn't be further from reality. 
couldn't be further from reality. In fact, they, are, they were literally second-class citizens. Citizens still, um, but second-class citizens. It was just a reality in which they lived. They weren't even permitted to have friends outside of their husbands, let alone worship a God that was different from their husbands. It just wasn't something that was done. And so for the follower of Jesus, this puts them in a very precarious situation. See, by worshiping Jesus, they're rebelling against their husband. So what ought they to do? How ought they to live with a man who does not share their faith and may even ridicule them for it? And so to this wife, who's already heard of the grace and hope and power that comes through following Jesus in his suffering... God says to love them. He says, love them. Remember, Peter's already said back in chapter 2, verse 16, that they're free. And, and these wives that he's talking to, they were, they were included in that. He says, you are free, and as followers of Jesus, you are free. And he says, in your freedom, I want you to follow in Jesus' footsteps in two ways. Follow in Jesus' footsteps in two ways. First, willingly submit yourselves. This is what Peter says in verse 1. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. See, the context that he speaks this into is that, like I said, of the Roman wife of an unbelieving husband. And this is likely one of the hardest, hardest contexts a person can find themselves in. Already a second-class citizen, and now your faith has made you the object of scorn and unjust resentment because your decision has caused your husband's social standing to plummet. And so he resents you for it. And it's into this context that God says, from your freedom, willingly submit. Why? That's the question that rises. Why? Because we follow in the example of Jesus himself. We follow in the example of Jesus himself, who willingly submitted himself to the hands of sinful men being beaten and killed so that he could pay the price for our sins on the cross. And it's through this suffering that he has given us the how of how to do it. See, when we follow him, he gives us the very ability that we need to submit for the sake of his glory. That's what he said back in chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 23. No, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He himself is the how, but it's all for his glory because look at the ultimate goal of this submission. Look at the second half of verse one and then also into verse two. So be subject to your own husbands so that... Even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. See, just like Jesus' submission, God is calling these wives to submit for the sake of the salvation of their husbands. That was the purpose that he gives here, the sake of the salvation of their husbands. And Peter calls these wives to follow in Jesus' example. So, yeah, so Peter calls these wives to first, to follow in Jesus' example by willingly submitting themselves, and second, by focusing on righteousness. 
First, by willingly submitting themselves, and second, by focusing on righteousness. They're to follow Christ in their homes by elevating righteousness above everything else. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is what? Very precious. Very precious. Here, Peter sets up this comparison between external and internal beauty. Not to say, don't worry about this stuff, don't think about uh, external beauty, but rather to say, Far and above uh, external beauty, our focus ought to be on the internal beauty, on righteousness, on building into righteousness. So why does he call them to this? Again, it's because of Jesus' example first. We're following in his example. Jesus, who came as a peasant carpenter to backwoods Galilee, he could have come as, uh, as a king or a prince in, a, in the emperor's palace but he didn't. His focus wasn't on this external adornment. His focus was in every circumstance, internal righteousness and living righteousness to the world. In every circumstance to exude righteousness. And this, friends, is what we too are called to. There's this video I saw a while ago, which was just, it was just really fascinating, and it highlighted something really interesting in our, in our culture. It, it was a video of, and it started just with like a picture, uh, like a studio photo of, of just an average looking person. And as the video progresses, uh, the, the cursor shows up on the screen, and it starts to grab photo editing tools, and it, it begins to, to cover blemishes and pull out a little bit here and, and pull in a little bit here, and... And, and it continues working and, and doctoring up the photo and, and fixing it up so that by the end, this average-looking person has become a Barbie doll-esque model suitable for the cover of a magazine. And what's incredible is that in our culture today, we actually don't even need to have these you know, expensive photo editing tools anymore. With, with the click of a button on a smartphone, you can take uh, your photo and put all of these filters on it and make it look completely different from what you are. Just to project something different to the world, and with a click of a button, we, we, we can post that out and put this persona into our, out, into our online profiles. Right, but what Jesus is calling us to is rather than focusing on the outward appearances, these wives are called to put their attention into following Jesus into running hard after him by seeking a beauty that needs no Instagram filter because it never fades. It never fades. It only ever intensifies in its radiance. The inward beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. And so in writing about uh, what it looks like to follow Jesus in suffering, Peter tells these wives to follow Jesus by submitting themselves, by submitting themselves, and by focusing on righteousness. Submitting themselves, focusing on righteousness. Now, as we read this, what we need to remember is that it actually doesn't matter whether or not you're a husband or a wife, whether you're married or unmarried, male or female, 
We're all called to follow Jesus in this way. We're all called to follow Jesus in this way. Peter just happens to be using wives as his example here. That just happens to be the illustration that he's using in this letter. He's already called each and every believer to follow Jesus in submission and in focusing on righteousness through his letter. He's already called us to that, even if it means suffering. And this is just another practical example of what the outworking of that looks like into a fallen world. And so regardless of your gender or your marital status this morning, we all need to hear God's call on our lives to to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus by willingly submitting and by focusing on righteousness, by focusing on righteousness. And so after speaking uh, to, to all through the example of wives, Peter speaks now through the example of husbands. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, we see the word likewise, as in husbands. Husbands. I've already told your slaves and your wives to willingly submit in all respect. Guess what? You do the same thing too. That's what he's saying here with likewise. You may have the social authority over your wife, but don't you dare, don't you dare use that against her. Your faith in Jesus means that you are a new creation, so seek to follow Christ in your home. Seek to follow Christ in your home. And in this verse, we see two ways that Peter calls these husbands to live out that new creation by following Jesus. Two ways, pardon me, two ways. First, follow Christ in your home by living with understanding. By living with understanding. This is in contrast to living uh, with sheer thoughtlessness. Sheer thoughtlessness. So in other words, Within this family structure, rather than doing whatever he pleases, the Christian husband is called to follow Jesus by actually considering the position of his wife. He follows Jesus in this because Christ willingly made himself a man so that he could take on complete human likeness. And because of this, Hebrews chapter 4 can tell us that that we can come to Jesus when we're facing any sort of weakness because he has been tempted in every way as we have been tempted. And so Jesus too came to this earth to live with us in an understanding way so that he could know what we're doing so he can be our strength and our hope in the midst of everything. He came with, and Jesus lives with us in a way that seeks to understand where we're at so that he can work in and through us. And it's in the same way that these believing husbands were called to understand the position of their wives and to live with them in recognition of that. And so husbands were called to follow Christ by living with understanding, by living with understanding. And second, they were called to follow Christ by showing honor. By showing honor. And here is where the new creation of these husbands starts to really subvert the culture. Subvert the culture. Because think about who the last person in his letter, so if you think about this as a whole letter that's being read out to the community, right? They're not piecemealing it up as they're reading this out. 
If you think about it, who's the last person that was told, that we're told to show honor to? That these Roman citizens were told to, to show honor to? You have to back up to uh, chapter 2, verse 17. The last person that they were told to show honor to was the emperor himself. Verse 17 says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And then he keeps reading till he gets down to this section. He says, husbands, honor your wives. You see the way in which he's subverting this carefully ordered family structure. It's really an incredible thing of what he's doing. Now, now lest you get caught up on this phrase, let me just comment quickly on, on weaker vessel. Okay, there's probably a level at which Peter is talking about just like the natural physical differences between men and women. Because, because men and women are different. Right, so there is this natural difference. But what I think he's actually trying to do here, there's a level in which he's, he's talking about that. But I think primarily, and I base this on the context that we find ourselves in the letter, Peter, I think, is addressing the vulnerability that a Roman wife faces because of her social standing. Right? So, so it's the, he's trying to say, husbands, honor your wives because they find themselves in this social structure down a peg from you. And so I want you to honor them in light of that. And so Peter's not saying here that women are weak and need to be coddled. That's not what he's saying. He's actually calling husbands to subvert the social structure in which they find themselves and to elevate their wives by showing them honor. By showing them the same reality that they're supposed to show the emperor. See the way in which he's subverting the culture here. And he says to do this because of the equality that men and women have before their creator God. He's saying that even though this marriage structure is broken and far from the intended paradigm, honor your wife because, because she is equal to you before God. And we see this example first lived out in Jesus. He regularly elevated women, the women around him to the same status as men. We saw that in his interaction with Mary and Martha. We saw that in his interaction with the woman who anointed his feet and then with many others. You just read through the Gospels, you'll see the way in which Jesus did this. And so in light of this equality, Peter calls these husbands to follow Jesus by living with understanding and by showing honor to their wives. And if they choose to turn their backs on this calling in their lives, there is a strong warning that they ought to heed. See, if they reject this call to follow Jesus in their homes, God's not even going to hear them. Their creator isn't even going to hear them. Their prayers are going to be hindered. And in this warning, we see the severity of the calling to which we've been called. And if we choose to neglect the reality that we're all created equal in the sight of God, then we do so to our own judgment. But again, because of the context, we can know that the implication of this calling is not just for husbands. It's actually, once again, it's for all of us. It's for all of us. And if we choose to cast aside those uh, who are created in the image of God, whether that be because of race or gender or social status or political leanings or whatever else, if we decide to push that aside, uh, push aside their, the fact that they were created in the image of God and try to lower them, and we do so to our own judgment 
to our own dismay because it was Jesus. It was Jesus who died for them just as he died for us. So friends, friends, there's a movement in our culture that wants to segregate us out and have us start to tally up all of the ways in which we've been afflicted and try and segment, segment our society. Listen, I just need to call us, we need to reject this anti-image-bearing ideology and recognize that we are all created in the image of God and all called to follow Christ in our lives, each and every one of us. And so through our text, using the framework of a marriage relationship, we see four ways, four ways that followers of Jesus are called to do just that, to follow Jesus. And the first way we've seen is that we are called to willingly submit. That's willingly submit to unjust suffering in our lives. And as we follow Jesus in this, we act as a witness to those who are around us. Whether that be in our marriage, or in our workplaces, or in our classrooms, or wherever it is we find ourselves, we willingly submit even to unjust suffering so that we can act as a witness to those, to those who are around us. Second, we're called to follow Jesus by focusing on righteousness. By focusing on righteousness, putting the lion's share of our effort into running hard after Jesus. We live in a culture that wants to do anything but this. That want, and, and just because of, of how our culture is set up, there is so much distraction. There is so much that wants us to pull us away, wants to pull us away from focusing on righteousness. Brothers and sisters, friends, let me implore you. Come to Jesus. Allow him to work in and through you and put the lion's share of the effort in your life into to the internal adorning, into the internal beauty, into righteousness, becoming more like Jesus, allowing him to work in and through us, building into an imperishable beauty. Third, we're called to live with understanding, to live with understanding. We seek to know each other so that we can best represent Christ. We seek to know those around us, getting to know the culture, seeking to understand the various uh, uh, subcultures and things in our world so that, so that we can actually represent Christ to the world in which we live. We live with understanding because Christ did that for us, didn't he? And fourth, we see that we are to follow Christ by showing honor. Showing honor. That is recognizing that each and every one of us are image bearers of our God. And so we ought to live in light of that by honoring one another. Now, I don't think that, this, there's a that it's a coincidence that Peter speaks this into the context of marriages. Imagine if we live these out in our households. Imagine if we took these four takeaways and we lived these out in our households. Christ would be honored and magnified by those around us. But because of the context, we can see these also apply to each and every one of us, regardless of marital status this morning. 
Each of us is called to follow Christ by willingly submitting, even into unjust suffering, but to focus on righteousness, to live with understanding, and to show honor to those around us. But he highlights all of this within the context of the marriage relationship because this is the primary way that God communicates his relationship to his people, to the world around us. That's why he instituted marriage at the beginning, in its perfect state, because it's meant to communicate a profound reality. And friends, let me just get another aside here. This is why we need to stand so strongly for the definition of marriage, because it's God-ordained and communicates something very specific to our world. And as his church, his people, we are Christ's bride who willingly submits to his authority, who willingly submits to his authority authority, focusing on righteousness. And as we do that, he guides us into all understanding, showing us honor because we are his new creation. We are his new creation. And in the beginning, Adam and Eve sinned. They distorted the whole thing, didn't they? It was created beautiful. That was the picture we had at the beginning. But their sin distorted it all. But Christ, Christ is restoring that image. So that one day, his bride, the church, the gathered followers, believers in Jesus, united by the Holy Spirit, will dwell with him in perfect harmony. We read about this in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 9. Hear this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. See, our marriages today, they're meant to point us to the union of Christ and his church, of Christ and his church, which will be celebrated and, and seen come to full fruition when he returns in glory. And it'll be celebrated by the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what he said in Revelation. But we get a foretaste of that glorious reality even today as we come together to celebrate communion. When we join together in this, we are acknowledging the truth that we are united together as we are united to Christ is why this is such a great way to respond to God's word that we've heard here today. Not only do we remember his suffering and how it's the power, uh, it's the power through which we are able to follow him, but we get to remember our unity with him. And so we're going to do that now. In just a moment, uh, I'm going to invite, we'll invite you to come to these tables that are around to grab your elements. You'll do that as the band is playing this this next song. And so uh, just by way of some logistics here, these front sections here, you guys can come to the front and grab from up here. There'll be our elders and uh, pastors or deacons who are there to help serve you. And if you're in that back section, you come down to these two tables 
that are in the front. As I said, as the band's playing this next song, we're going to do that. And what you're going to do is you're going to come forward. And as you're coming forward, I want you to just, I want you to examine your heart. Ask God, is there anything between us? Is there anything between me and my brother, my sister? Make that right. Make that right before you come and you partake of these elements. And then you're going to take those elements back to your seat. And because we are united together through the Holy Spirit, we're going to take these elements together. Okay, so you bring them back to your seat and you hold on to them. And then after the song, I'll come back up here and we will, we will take these elements together. And let me just remind you that this is something... This is something that was designed and intended for followers of Jesus, those who have decidedly become uh, followers of Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, you don't need to be a member here. You just need to make sure your, your relationship is right with God. You're welcome to join us with that. If that's not you, if you're not sure where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, this walk with Jesus, then I invite you to just please just, just stay where you're at. There's no shame there's no shame in that. In fact, it's, it's for your good uh, that you would, you would uh, abstain from this. And so uh, we're going to continue to worship God as the band plays this next song. And as they do that, please come forward and, and, and grab your elements.